Little Women, Chapter 15, Dark Days. For a week, the amount of virtue in the old house would have supplied the neighborhood. Relieved of their first anxiety about their father, the girls insensibly relaxed their efforts a little and began to fall back into the old ways. The house seemed like a clock whose pendulum was gone to visiting. Meg, I wish you'd go and see the Hummels. You know Mother told us not to forget them, said Beth, ten days after Mrs. March's departure. I'm too tired to go this afternoon, replied Meg. Can't you, Joe? asked Beth. Too stormy for me, said Joe, who had caught a bad cold through neglect to cover her shorn head enough. I thought your cold was almost well. It's well enough for me to go out with Lori, but not well enough to go to the Hummels, said Joe, laughing. Why don't you go yourself? asked Meg. I have been every day, but the baby is sick, and I don't know what to do for it. It gets sicker and sicker, and I think you or Hannah ought to go. Beth spoke earnestly, and Meg promised she would go tomorrow. My head aches, so I thought some of you would go today, said Beth. Amy will be in presently, and she will go, suggested Meg. An hour passed, and Amy did not come. So Beth quietly put on her hood, filled her basket with things for the poor children, and went out into the chilly air. It was late when she came back, and no one saw her creep upstairs and shut herself into her mother's room. Half an hour after Joe went to mother's closet for something, and there found Beth sitting on the medicine chest looking very grave, her eyes red, and a camphor bottle in her hand. "'Christopher Columbus, what's the matter?' cried Joe, as Beth put out her hand as if to warn her off, saying quickly, "'You've had the scarlet fever, haven't you?' "'Years ago, when Meg did, why?' "'Then I'll tell you. "'Oh, Joe, the baby's dead. "'What baby?' "'Mrs. Hummels. "'It died in my lap before she got home. "'My poor dear, how dreadful for you. "'I ought to have gone,' said Joe, "'taking her sister in her arms. "'Don't cry, dear. "'What did you do?' "'I just sat and held it "'till Mrs. Hummel came with the doctor. "'He said it was dead. "'Scarlet fever, man. "'Ought to have called me before,' "'he said crossly.' It was very sad, and I cried with them till he turned around all of a sudden and told me to go home and take Belladonna right away, or I'd have the fever. Oh, Beth, cried Joe, hugging her close. If you should be sick, I could never forgive myself. What shall we do? Don't be frightened. I guess I shan't have it badly. I looked in Mother's book and saw that it begins with a headache, sore throat, and queer feelings like mine. So I did take some Belladonna, and I feel better, said Beth, laying her cold hands on her hot forehead. "'If only Mother was at home!' exclaimed Joe. "'I'll call Hannah. She knows about sickness.' "'Now I'll now I'll tell you what we'll do,' said Hannah, "'when she had examined and questioned Beth. "'We will have Dr. Bangs. "'Then we'll send Amy off to Aunt March's. "'One of you girls can stay at home and amuse Beth for a day or two. "'I'll stay, of course, I'm oldest,' began Meg, looking anxious. "'I shall, because it's my fault she's sick. "'I told Mother I'd do the errands, and I haven't,' said Joe decidedly. "'Which will you have, Beth?' asked Hannah. "'Joe, please.' and Beth leaned her head against her sister. "'I'll go and tell Amy,' said Meg. Amy rebelled outright and declared passionately that she would rather have the fever than go to Aunt March. Lori walked into the parlor to find Amy sobbing. She told her sorry, expecting to be consoled. But Lori only put his hands in his pockets and walked about the room whistling softly. Presently he sat down beside her and said, "'Now be a sensible little woman and do as they say. Hear what a jolly plan I've got.' You go to Aunt March's, and I'll come and take you out every day, driving or walking, and we'll have capital times. Won't that be better than moping here? 
"'But it's dull at Aunt March's, and she's so cross,' said Amy. "'It won't be dull with me popping in every day to tell you how Beth is and take you out gallivanting.' "'Well, I guess I will,' said Amy slowly. "'Good girl. Call Meg and tell her you'll give in,' said Laurie. Meg and Joe came running down, and Amy, feeling self-sacrificing, promised to go to the doctor, to go if the doctor said Beth was going to be ill. Dr. Beggs came, said Beth had symptoms of the fever, but he thought she would have it lightly, though he looked sober over the Hummel story. Amy was ordered off at once and departed in a state with Joe and Lori as escort. Beth did have the fever and was much sicker than anyone but Hannah and the doctor had suspected. The girls knew nothing about illness, and Mr. Lawrence was not allowed to see her, so Hannah had everything her own way. Meg stayed home lest she infect the kings, and kept house, feeling very anxious and a little guilty when she wrote letters in which no mention was made of Beth's illness. She could not think it was right to deceive her mother, but she had been bidden to mind Hannah, who wouldn't hear of her being told. Jo devoted herself to Beth day and night, not a hard task for Beth was very patient and bore her pain uncomplainingly. But there came a time when she did not know the familiar faces around her and called imploringly for her mother. Then Joe grew frightened. Meg begged to be allowed to write the truth, and even Hannah said she would think of it, though there was no danger yet. A letter from Washington added to their trouble, for Mr. March had had a relapse and could not think of coming home for a long while. How dark the days seemed now. How sad and lonely the house, and how heavy were the hearts of the sisters as they worked and waited while the shadow of death hovered over the once happy home. Lori haunted the house like a restless ghost, and Mr. Lawrence locked the grand piano because he could not bear to be reminded of the young neighbor who used to make the twilight pleasant for him. Everyone mi missed Beth. The milkman, baker, grocer, and butcher inquired how she did. Poor Mrs. Hummel came to beg pardon for her thoughtlessness, and the neighbors sent all sorts of comforts and good wishes. Even those who knew her best were surprised to find how many, little, how many friends shy little Beth had made. The first of December was a wintry day indeed to them, for a bitter wind blew and snow fell fast. When Dr. Bangs came that morning, he looked long at Beth, held the hot hand in both his own for a minute, and laid it gently down, saying in a low voice to Hannah, if Mrs. March can leave her husband, she'd better be sent for. Hannah nodded without speaking. Joe ran to the parlor, threw on her things, and rushed out into the storm. She was soon back while taking off her cloak. Lori came in with a letter saying that Mr. March was mending again. Joe read it thankfully, but her face was full of misery that Lori asked quickly, What is it? Is Beth worse? I've sent for mother, said Joe, tugging at her rubber boots. "'Good for you. Did you do it on your own responsibility?' asked Lori, as he seated her in a chair and took off the boots for her. "'No. The doctor told us to.' "'Oh, Joe, it's not so bad as that,' cried Lori, startled. "'Yes, it is.' And the tears streamed fast down poor Joe's cheeks. She stretched out her hand as if groping in the dark. Lori took it, whispering as well as he could with a lump in his throat. "'I'm here. Hold on to me, Joe, dear.' She could not speak, but she did hold on, and the warm grasp of the friendly human hand comforted her heart and seemed to lead her nearer the divine arm, which alone could hold her up in trouble. Soon she dried her tears and looked up gratefully. Thank you, Teddy. I'm better now. I don't feel so forlorn, and will try to bear it if it comes. Keep hoping for the best. That will help you, Joe. 
Soon your mother will be here. Then everything will be all right. I'm so glad father is better. Now she won't feel so bad about leaving him. Tonight I'll give you something that will warm the cockles of your heart, said Laurie, beaming at her. What is it? cried Joe, forgetting her woes. I telegraphed to your mother yesterday, and Brooke answered she'd come at once. She'll be here tonight, and everything will be all right. Aren't you glad I did it? Laurie spoke very fast, for he had kept his plot a secret for fear of disappointing the girls or harming Beth. Joe grew white, flew out of her chair, and electrified him by throwing her arms around his neck, crying joyfully, Oh, Laurie! Oh, mother, I am so glad! She laughed hysterically and trembled and clung to her friend as if she were bewildered by the news. Laurie, though amazed, behaved with presence of mind. He patted her back soothingly, and finding that she was recovering, followed it up by a bashful kiss or two, which brought Jill round at once. Holding on to the banister, she put him gently away, saying breathlessly, Oh, don't. I didn't mean to. It was dreadful of me. But you were such a dear to go and do it in spite of Hannah that I couldn't help flying at you. Tell me all about it. Why, I got fidgety, and so did Grandpa. We thought Hannah was overdoing the authority business, and your mother ought to know. She'll never forgive us if Beth... Well, if anything happened, you know. So I got Grandpa to say it was high time we did something, and off I pelted to the office yesterday. Your mother will come, I know, and the last train is in at 2 a.m. I shall go for her. You've only got to bottle up your rapture and keep Beth quiet till the blessed lady gets here. You're an angel. How shall I ever thank you? Fly at me again. I rather liked it, said Laurie, looking mischievous. Don't tease, but go home and rest. You'll be up half the night. Bless you, Teddy. Bless you. The doctor had been in to say that some change would probably take place around midnight, at which time he would return. So Hannah lay down on the sofa at the bed's foot and fell asleep. Mr. Lawrence marched to and fro in the parlor. Laurie lay on the rug, staring into the fire with a thoughtful look which made his black eyes beautifully soft and clear. The girls never forgot that night, for no sleep came to them as they kept their watch. The clock struck twelve, and they fancied a change passed over Beth's wan face. The house was still as death, and nothing but the wailing of the wind broke the deep hush. Weary Hannah slept on, and no one but the sister saw the pale shadow which seemed to fall upon the little bed. An hour went by, and nothing happened except Laurie's quiet departure for the station. Another hour. Still no one came and anxious fears of delay in the storm, or accidents by the way, or worst of all, a great grief at Washington, haunted the girls. It was past two when Joe, who stood at the window thinking how dreary the world looked in its winding sheet of snow, heard a movement by the bed. Turning quickly, she saw Meg kneeling before their mother's easy chair with her face hidden. A dreadful fear passed coldly over Joe as she thought, Beth is dead and Meg is afraid to tell me. She was back at her post in an instant, and to her excited eyes a great change seemed to have taken place. The fever flush and the look of pain were gone, and the beloved little face looked so pale and peaceful in its utter repose that Joe felt no desire to weep or lament. Leaning low over this dearest of sisters, she kissed the damp forehead with her heart on her lips and softly whispered, "'Goodbye, my Beth. Goodbye.' As if wakened by the stir, Hannah started out of her sleep, hurried to the bed, looked at Beth, felt her hands, listened at her lips, and then throwing her apron over her head, exclaimed under her breath, the favor's turned. She's sleeping natural. Her skin's damp. She breathes easy. Praise be given, oh goodness me. 
Before the girls could believe the happy truth, the doctor came to confirm it. He smiled and said, I think the little girl will pull through, keep the house quiet, let her sleep, and when she gives her... What they were to give, neither girl heard, for they crept into the dark hall, and sitting on the stairs held each other close with hearts too full for words. When they went back, they found Beth lying as she used to with her cheek pillowed on her hand, the dreadful pallor gone, and breathing quietly as if just fallen asleep. If only mother could come now, said Joe as the winter night began to wane. See, said Meg, coming up with a half-opened white rose, I thought this would hardly be ready to lay in Beth's hand tomorrow if she went away from us. But it has blossomed in the night, and now I mean to put it in my vase here, so that when the darling wakes, the first thing she sees will be the rose in mother's face. Never had the sun risen so beautifully, and never had the world seemed so lovely as it did to the heavy eyes of Meg and Joe as they looked out into the early morning when their long, sad vigil was done. It looks like a fairy world, said Meg. Hark! cried Joe, starting to her feet. There was a sound of bells at the door, a cry from Hannah, and then Lori's voice saying in a joyful whisper, Girls, she's come! She's come! 